Hi there, this is Rich Cooper with the Space Foundation, and this is the Space For You podcast, conversations with the people who make today's space happen. I'm sitting here with Dr. Alice Bunn, who is the Director for International with the UK's Space Agency, or UKSA. She is the head of delegation for the, for the UK with ESA and is the vice chair of the ESA Council. Needless to say, it's a great honor to have her as part of our Space for You podcast, and it's an even greater pleasure to have you as part of the Space Foundation board. I wanted to start off, could you share with us a little bit about what the vision for UKSA, what it's all about? Um, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. So the vision for the UK Space Agency, that's an easy one for me to answer. Our vision is to lead the new space age. So we recognise that this sector is changing and it's changing dramatically. We're seeing so many exciting new innovations, particularly in the smaller scales. So in small satellites, and our vision is to lead that new space age. And we're really optimistic about that. So, for instance, we know already that 40% of the world's small satellites are designed, produced, or manufactured in the UK. Wow. Those are pretty impressive statistics. It is. So, you're taking the lead in what I will call small set revolution. What are the goals that you have? You have the big vision. You want to be the leader. What are the goals that that are telling you that you're getting there? Absolutely. So, the long-term goal is to capture 10% of the global market by 2030. And we recognise that there'll be a big part of that global market will be coming from these new innovations, these new small satellites. So innovation. How do we make that innovation happen? What is the government's role in doing that? So we are looking at innovation in our regulatory frameworks. So to give an example, we've just introduced a traffic light system, which makes it easier for some of these really, really highly innovative companies to come through and get some certainty about whether they can get a license from us, providing they use a tried and tested launcher, a tried and tested uh, platform, and launch to a low enough altitude that the the mission is going to naturally degrade after it's proved the concept, then they're going to get a license from the UK. We are looking at innovation in our partnerships. We're particularly proud to have a new international partnership program working with developing countries. It's a £150 million program. We're already partnering with 33 different countries, uh, tackling 10 different sustainable development goals. I could go on. (laughs) Well, you talked about all the partnerships, the 33 countries that you just mentioned there. Yeah. Who's your competition? Who's the competition? Well, you know, I think we're um, we're really leading this this age. I mean, we have this dedicated program. Not many countries have a dedicated program working with developing countries. But I think there is recognition out there. There is recognition that, um, you know, working with some of the countries that are just coming through with space capabilities are, the, are representing a new opportunity. But I'm pretty confident. I think we're leading that engagement at the moment. Others are catching up, but we're still ahead. What are you going to do differently from the other space agencies? So, again, it comes back to, I think, enabling frameworks. So enabling the sector to come through with those innovations. So typically, what we another first coming from the UK is innovative financing models. So we have Seraphim. It's the first um, venture capital fund that, that is dedicated to financing satellite missions. And we're really encouraging this more you know, innovative, creative way of thinking about financing. London's been traditionally, you know, the finance capital of the world. Absolutely. So we're absolutely leveraging from the back of that. So when you, having the capital to make these things happen, 
Talk about what you're doing to create a regulatory environment that makes the UK and UKSA a great space partner. So we will be working very closely with our international partners, with, uh, with like-minded countries, to make sure that we bring through those innovations in, in regulatory frameworks together in an internationally responsible way. Um, I've already talked about the traffic light system. We'll be looking at, we're very focused at the moment on the regulatory frameworks that we need to enable launch from the UK. You asked earlier about what are the big milestones along the way. Launch is one of those big milestones. So we're working very closely, particularly with the US, on making sure that we can get a responsible framework in place to enable launch. We're also looking at in-orbit servicing. We're also looking at, you know, Earth observation data frameworks. You know, we are looking at all these new exciting programs that are coming down the line and making sure that we're ready, government is ready to support that innovation coming from the sector. You mentioned government is ready. Is UK industry ready? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We don't get to the point of having, you know, 40% of the world's small satellite capability without, you know, when we're still sleeping. So we're doing a lot to foster innovation also by creating hubs. What do I mean by that? We're creating real centres where we particularly get the academic and the industry community together. So a really good example of that is some of the stuff happening at Harwell, where we've got one of the ESA centres there. We've got RAL space with a lot of uh, manufacturing and test capability. We've got the satellite applications catapult, really seizing new opportunities for the downstream applications of data. And we've got many, many businesses. Only a few years ago, there was just a handful of companies there. There's now up to 80. So we are really building and we're seeing a lot of inward investment into that hub because they recognize that this is the right environment to be innovating. So you've got governments ready. Industry's ready. One of the challenges that is often spoken about in the United States is the STEM or science, technology, engineering, and mathematics pipeline not having enough talent. Do you have a talent pipeline issue as well? Yeah, we absolutely recognize that as an issue, and we've done a lot of work on that in the last few years. So we were very lucky to have a UK astronaut. So we had Tim Peake. We did a huge education campaign when Tim was flying. We touched directly 2 million school children. So by that I mean, you know, they didn't just see that we had an astronaut in space and were interested. They were directly involved in activities in the classroom, uh, research activities that were relating to Tim's mission. That had a huge effect. So we're really planning to continue leveraging from the inspirational effect of space for the STEM agenda. But we also recognize that actually you need to make those interventions all the way through children's education. So whilst the activities we had going when Tim was flying were largely targeted around the kind of nine, ten-year-old mark, now we're really shifting our focus onto graduates. So looking at putting internship programs in place so that we make sure not only are we infusing children to take up those STEM subjects in the first place, but we're also facilitating their careers using that STEM education into the space sector. The UK has a tremendous history and exploration and innovation. What do you think, when you look at what you're doing right now, if you have to write the first chapter of that history, what does that first chapter say? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah, exploration. Well, it's in our genes, right? It's what we do. You know, we're we're an inquisitive race. So we were always going to push forwards. And and I'm really excited. In fact, it's a relatively recent thing that we joined human exploration. So we were always very committed through 
ESA um, to robotic exploration, but it's a relatively recent thing that we're going into human exploration. But we are very excited to be joining with international partners in pursuit of curiosity, right? It's fundamentally furthering the knowledge of mankind. Does that include wanting to be part of the uh, Back to the Moon on to Mars? Oh, yeah. We're ready for that too, by the way. We're totally ready for that. We're really, it's been so exciting this week. So many conversations around exploration. And, um, you know, one, re- one really sticks in my mind, uh, chatting over one of these breakfast events. And we really recognise that there's this tension between this fantastic ambition, you know, set boots back on the moon by 2024, and enabling international cooperation in that mission. You know, people have got to get ready. They've got to get their funding in place. We're ready. We're ready. We've got industrial capability that can deliver already. Does Brexit change any of this? No, certainly not. Um, certainly not an exploration. And we continue to be very strong contributors into the ESA program. You know, we're look, really looking forward to the ministerial at the end of this year. And that's where we'll be making our next subscriptions into these exciting programs. But there's, there's very little impact. You know, exploration has always been an international endeavour. Space programmes have always been an international endeavour. You know, we share in the cost of the infrastructure. We share in the operating environment. And that's, you know, that's not going to change. What does the world need to know about UKSA? The world needs to know we're growing. The world needs to know we're really, really serious. We are absolutely committed to getting this end-to-end capability in place. So I've already talked about the fact that we've got this this leadership position in small satellites. We've made some recent investments uh, through Harwell, again, improved test facilities. We've got solid funding programs. We are ready to reform our regulatory frameworks. And we're looking forward in just a, just a short time to seeing launch enabled from the UK. So you look at that piece, you've got an end-to-end capability to be able to really grasp these exciting new opportunities coming from the um, small satellite programs. Where do you want to launch out of the UK? Uh, well, you know what? We're not limiting it. At the moment, we're focusing a lot of our efforts in the north of Scotland. But we've always said this is a commercially driven enterprise. So the government's role is to put the frameworks in place to enable that launch to happen. But if the market's there, there's no reason why we can't consider, for instance, horizontal launch from you know other parts of the UK. At the moment, most of our effort is focused in the north of Scotland. The UK has such tremendous history with exploration. And I have to ask this question. But when you go to start launching spacecraft out of um, north of Scotland or wherever in the UK, what do you hope one of those spacecraft is named? <laughs> There's been some amazing what historical vehicles. Ah, oh, named. Well, you know what? I just was at the naming ceremony of a spacecraft, actually. Uh, can I tell you about that? Absolutely. So the other mission we were really excited about, really looking forward to, is ExoMars, so due to launch in 2020. Okay. Uh, we've been responsible for building the rover, and the rover was just recently named Rosalind Franklin. Uh, why Rosalind Franklin? So Rosalind Franklin was a phenomenal scientist who was really responsible for understanding the structure of DNA. So those really building blocks of life. Uh, so we named the rover after Rosalind Franklin because this rover will indeed look for those building blocks of life on Mars. So that was a super nice occasion. In fact, it was, it was quite, um, strangely emotional. In fact, uh, Rosalind's family were actually in the audience as well. So it was so, fitting that her work could be acknowledged in this really lovely way many years after her death. So will we see an HMS Stephen Hawking? (laughs) Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, we've just named a ship after David Attenborough, so I suppose that 
you know, ship has sailed, as it were. Um, literally. But, <laughs> quite literally. Quite literally. <laughs> uh, Dr. Alice Bunn, it is a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, best of luck with the UKSA. This is Rich Cooper with the Space Foundation Space for You podcast. Again, you can see more episodes of our podcasts on all of our social media outlets, as well as spacefoundation.org. And remember, at the Space Foundation, we always have space for you. Thank you. Thank you.